Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 189 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we bring you Page Turner on Polly. Here's your host, The Beast. Thank you, Max. And we're here with another edition of the Kinky Cast. And this week, we have traveled to the lovely city of Cleveland, Ohio. Page Turner, is that a play on words? Oh, sure. Maybe a little bit. Paige is my actual first name, though, so it wasn't that far of a stretch. But you are an author. I am. Yep. Uh, And we'll get into your book in just a bit, but you're a subject expert, aren't you? (laughs) Well, um, I'm an expert. Wow. Um, Well, thank you for saying so. You know, I think a, a big thing is that the more you know about something, the less you feel like you know about it. It becomes hard to... To feel that way. You know what I mean? But the world of Polly. Yes. Is, it's a world you know very well, isn't it? Yes, yes. Um, I've, I've been polyamorous. Oh gosh. Uh, formally since, uh, 2009. That's when I first started practicing it, you know, as part of the movement and reading and things like that. But I've been non-monogamous as a young person, uh, for many years before that. I was actually a, a jazz musician and I traveled in bands and we had a lot of, uh, casual non-monogamy and things that were, were happening that way. But not all of it was ethical. You know, it was quite a different thing to, to become formally polyamorous as I did about eight years ago. But yeah, I've, I've, I've studied a lot about polyamory. Um, a lot of it, it actually comes from my professional background, actually, which is in um, organizational behavior and organizational development, which which is basically a fancy term for uh, the psychology of workplaces. So I've worked as a corporate consultant, and I've done a lot of, of uh, different uh, kind of consulting work at companies on how to make their staffs get along better together, which, as you would ex- expect, translates really well to polyamorous webs and those kind of interactions where you have all these people that need to get along, need to work towards a common purpose, but maybe their personalities don't always match. What an interesting thought that that does make a whole lot of sense. I see poly approach from a love side so often, mm-hmm. and love is such a complex, complicated emotion, mm-hmm. uh, but in truth... Our day-to-day lives are much more built on the survival and getting along, getting a job done. Yeah, totally. And well, especially if you think about, you know, not just our partners, but our, our metamors and, and, and our metamors partners and, and that whole system where you have friendships and you have people you barely know. And, uh, you know, so, so maybe you don't, I mean, I think it's great when you can really be close to a metamor or, or your partner's other partner and you can really love them, but. But that doesn't always necessarily fall right into place. So it's like a village. It really is. <laughs> All right. Let's get a little uh, vocab out. Uh, the metamor, I have heard the term for years. I knew what the term was. But in the last uh, year or so, I've become much more conscious of it. The metamor, what is that? A metamor is when you uh, your partner has another partner. So if your, your partner is seeing two people, um, your partner's other partner is your metamor. 
basically. So it's a little bit like a friendship. It's a little bit like you're sharing time with this person, um, but it's kind of a special relationship. So you're a timeshare owner with somebody <laughs> that you don't necessarily, didn't necessarily pick. Is that right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, that's the funny thing. It, it can be a little bit like a timeshare owner, um, <laughs> which is a great way of putting it. Um, if you have um, somebody that that's dating your partner as well that you maybe you've never met or maybe they live far away it, it can feel like that other times your metamors are somebody you know you might live in the same town you might go to the same parties you might even live with them you know if you're in like a a three-person relationship like a, like a v where there's three of you but you're both dating the same person but not each other well and i sometimes feel like i am in the middle of a straight line with uh, with my metamorphs on 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 opposite sides, and that's definitely an awkward position sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it can be. I, I personally really like to meet metamorphs and get to know them and and try to make things as as uh, as familiar as they can be without being like weird and creepy and and you know boundary like like you know invading their privacy or anything. I really like to be friends with metamorphs and get to know them because it's it's weird when it is kind of like your partner's this timeshare and you're you're like in the timeshare and you're like, whose sweater is this? Not, not really, but you know, I like that metaphor. That's a good one. <laughs> you haven't always been involved in ethical mon- non-monogamy. You said you was a musician. So the stories are all true about what happens on the road. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I was um, actually spared a lot of, of the really crazy times because I was traveling with a lot of older male jazz musicians. So <laughs> you were spared. Um, I was actually a lot of times they would treat me kind of as, as the kid's sister. Um, but every now and then there would be kind of some weird things that would happen with me, especially uh, with other, uh, actually mostly with other, other young women, to be honest. I, because like I said, the old, the older uh, jazz musicians I traveled with would be so protective. So I was more able to have kind of more lesbian encounters, to be quite honest, because I could kind of sneak away from my chaperones. All right. Listeners, we will be coming <laughs> to you in the future with, uh, with Paige Turner, Tales from the Road. <laughs> but that's not what we're here for today. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, you have a couple of myths that you like to dispel about Polly. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of them. <laughs> Where do you want to start? <laughs> How about the affection to zero sum? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So a big thing, and this was hard for me because I, the funny thing is um, I had started out casually non-monogamous and I had seen kind of the bad non-monogamy, the really unethical, like the cheating, and then people talking smack about you after you hook up, which I think is ridiculous, but it's very common. Um, so I, I had been staunchly monogamous for a long time uh, before I, you know, between that kind of period, I kind of settled down and then I ended up reopening with my partner. And so I had this this really big belief and I think a lot of people do, especially when they're new to poly. And it's very easy to do because, um, you know, especially American society is very competitive. Um, the idea that any love that somebody pays to one person is love that takes away from somebody else. Any attention that somebody pays to somebody else takes attention away from me. Um, so it's very zero sum. There's only so much to give. And when one person gets something, when one person wins in a way the other person loses. And so when I went into opening up, it was very, it was very difficult for me because I didn't see how I would, you know, by sharing my life with more people and by my partner sharing their life with more people, how we'd end up with, with anything but less. But in, in reality, that's not really how it works. 
um, there isn't only so much love. There isn't only so much affection. And frankly, you do only have so much time. But the thing about time is it's not necessarily about quantity of time. It's, it's how you spend it. So it's really about the quality of time and how you're connecting with people. And sometimes I find that if you have less of it to give or if it's limited somehow, you like I personally will make the best of it. Like I, I will feel like I have to and then I'm actually there for each of my partners less than I would be, I think, than even if I were monogamous with them. So it multiplies the more love you give, the more you have. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because you get into these loving modes and these ways of paying attention to people. Zero sum thinking is really terrible for you. Uh, and and the thing is that it, it people do it not just to love, but to a lot of other things. Um, like when they're competitive with their friends. Like if your friend, okay, let's say you you hate your job, you think it sucks, and you watch and your friend gets a job that they like, that can feel almost like an attack on you. You know, with social media and stuff, you can feel like, well, why did they get this thing? And you can feel kind of like it. It underscores your relative failure when really you should be happy for your friend. And if you have a problem with your own circumstances, you should find a way to, to make that better. And if your friend even has a, a resource or knows something you don't like to get that job, you might even be able to reach out and say, hey, congratulations, buddy. What's your secret? And learn from that. And so I, I've taken that into polyamory, too. But it, it really applies to all those social relationships. And that kind of brings us uh, segues a little bit into one person must meet every possible need. Is where the where did where do we ever come up with such a silly idea at? I don't know, but you know, people are really really reluctant to give that one up. The whole idea that we need to be that that the way of defining that we're enough to people is that they never need any other companion, they never need any other social outreach. That really is really the one thing that I I I. I really like about so okay so if i had to be monogamous again um you know if if for some reason i had to do that the kind that i could do would be kind of a poly aware monogamy i've written about it before there's a i call it that in the post but it's basically the one that acknowledges that I am connected to other people socially. You know, I have those friendships that I'm attracted to other people that my life isn't defined by one person. Even if I chose to be sexually monogamous with one person, I still feel like I would be very emotionally non-monogamous in the way that I connect and the way that other people enrich my life. And, and, but for many monogamous couples, that becomes a problem. It really does. Yeah. I, they, they have this need to protect the relationship. I, I hear that a lot. We need to protect our relationship. And you'll even find this from, you know, uh, couples that are newly polyamorous that are opening up to maybe have a, a third partner, uh, that they date together. They'll say, well, we need these rules to protect our relationship. And the reality is that you don't protect a relationship from, you know, blocking things out that are that are outside of the relationship. You protect a relationship by building up a strong foundation from the inside. And that really has nothing to do with other people. So now uh segueing a bit again, jealousy. Does, is this is this something that you should embrace or run from? Jealousy is a funny thing. So when I feel jealous, which which does happen, I'll be honest, I have felt jealous. I used to have a lot more problem in the past. I had I did a lot of, of like emotional security work, but I still feel jealous. You know, every now and then something will happen, and I'll just I'll just feel just like. Um, 
But what I find helpful is to note the jealousy um, and say, okay, I, I know what I'm feeling. Then try to kind of figure out what more precise feeling I'm having behind that. Cause jealousy can kind of masquerade as a bunch of different things. It could be insecurity. It can be feeling left out. Uh, it can be being envious because something, somebody got something you wanted. It, it could be a, a whole number of things feeling overshadowed or less than. And so I kind of try to say, okay, cause jealousy is a very loud sort of sign, but it's not a very specific one. So I try to figure out what kind of signal I'm getting and I think through that and I try, I try to then kind of hash out what I want to do with that at that point. But jealousy is just telling you that, that you're having a reaction, not necessarily that like everything's doomed. I need to drop everything or this other person, you know, hurt me. So they're wrong. And, um, and that's the funny thing. I, I think it's good to, to admit that, that, that we do. I guess some people don't actually get jealous. Uh, that that's been something that's been said. Um, I think it's okay to be a polyamorous person who gets jealous as long as you can kind of process and think about that and, you know, not take it as like, like a, an excuse to go on a rampage and, you know, knock everything down. I think that's not good either. I think it's just a signal. Don't avoid it and, but don't run head on into its clutches. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, you know, I, you just kind of wave at it and take a good look at it. You figure out what it's telling you. And, and then, you know, sometimes that means you're got to have a talk with your partner. And then so, sometimes you're like, whoa, that was a total overreaction because that happens to me. And then, it, you know, I, I end up writing about it a lot of times. And some of it I don't show, some of it I do, you know, don't, yeah, don't go on any jealousy rampages. I think that's, that's good advice. You have a small little book out, and I mean only a couple hundred pages long. <laughs> but it's a very candid look at Polly, the good, the bad, the hard, the easy. Uh, and that book is Polyland. Yes, yes. And what drove you to write it? You know, it's kind of funny. I, I never actually thought I would publish this book. Basically, the book takes place, basically, my poly life from 2009 to 2011, which were the first two years that I was formally polyamorous. And this was a different time. This was back before we had a lot of the good resources we have now. We didn't have, you know, more than two. We didn't have really the big fat life community we have. We didn't have like Reddit polyamory or any of those things that, that are big now. So I was basically trying to to, to like invent the way of doing things along with the only other polyamorous people I knew who was also dating. So it was really screwy. Um, so we had like a two year period. Um, it was really interesting. And then uh, in 2012, I believe I was, I was actually going to therapy. A lot of experiences. Um, I was going through divorce at the time and my therapist gave me this assignment to just basically write down everything that had happened because she had felt that, I had gotten kind of steamrolled in, in the whole process, basically that I hadn't gotten a chance to really share how I felt about that. I'd been very quiet and I'd been holding in, you know, all of the things that happened. So, you know, I kind of went and I just started writing and, and then I was kind of looking at old writings in order to kind of piece that together. And then before I knew it, I had written like a hundred thousand word book. <laughs> before you knew it, when you write, you took her task very much to heart. I did. I did. And so I wrote that maybe the first draft I wrote like three months or something. I, I, and it was funny. Um, I just put it away and it wasn't until last summer 
that, you know, Sky Spook had been kind of needling me, my, my primary partner, my anchor partner. He'd been needling me, uh, about my writing saying, Oh, you're so good. You should put your work out there. Cause I'd always been kind of shy about it and had kind of kept to myself. And he's like, No, you should start writing more in Vet Life. And I should get you a real blog and you should edit that book and put it out. And I was like, Oh, no, no, shut up. You know, like nicely, but just like blushing, like shy kind of thing. And then, um, he just kind of kept after me and, and I, I started to do it. And, you know, something like nine drafts and nine months later, we put out the book and it, it's been doing so well. I'm actually, I'm really, I'm really surprised how well it's been received because it was, uh, it was a scary thing to write, to tell you the truth. <laughs> Let's get a plug in for where people can find the book at and what to look for because it's a, the web is a big, big place. Yeah, sure. Um, it's available through a lot of retailers. Um, an easy way is uh, if you go to Amazon.com and you just search for Polyland, uh, P-O-L-Y-L-A-N-D, it comes right up. Um, the book's full name is Polyland, My Brutally Honest Adventures in Polyamory by Paige Turner. Um, if you go to my website, which is poly.com, land poly land um it's also linked there a lot i also have some links of other places you can get it you can get it on smashwords uh, it's on uh, barnesandnoble.com or i think it's bn.com is the url it, it's it's out there in a bunch of different formats um, i'm also at that life so and listeners you can also find a listings on our show page for page check them out and we should have links that you can click through too now, this is not just the good things about the poly adventure, is it? Oh, no. Oh, no. 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 Um. <laughs> because uh, your first polys are not the polys that you're in today, are they? No, I'm in a completely different relationship web now than I was back then. Yeah, I have different partners. Um, I mean, a lot of the people I knew then I'm still friends with. Um, I'm even still friends with, you know, uh, my ex-husband. But, it, yeah, no, very, very different. And actually, it's really funny. Um, as people have been reading it, as people have been reaching out. They're like, everybody has a meltdown in this book. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty – it's because that's pretty much what happened, including me. I have a couple of meltdowns in the book. And, you know, it, it kind of deals with some stuff that I haven't – seen a terrible amount like uh, actually one of the big plot points I, i'm not going to spoil it i'm going to leave out the characters but uh, the relationship agreement is completely broken through a horrible miscommunication and you actually get to see how everybody reacts and it's not always the right way uh the way that we handled it we did the best we could everybody so yeah it, it's interesting you know and there's a lot of stuff in there uh because when i first opened up i lived in rural maine and i only moved to cleveland because of partners i met out here and if you want a challenge try hunting for a unicorn in rural maine i mean i just the stuff because basically we were dating all monogamous people at a time when nobody knew what polyamory was. So there's some like interesting kind of starts and stops um, as I'm dating a string of people that are not poly. In one of your newest writings that I was noticing just this week, you uh -huh. are discussing people without an anchor. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, and those are people that don't have a primary relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's the dynamics are totally different there. Yep. And actually, um, I, I'm going to try not to spoil it too badly, but I do get a partner that doesn't have an anchor partner 
eh, probably about halfway through the book. Um, and it, re- it really does pull a number in me. There's a lot of push-pull about that. And I go through a lot of soul-searching where, where like, I'm like, like one minute I'm like, I'm so into him. And then I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Because I figure, I feel like he's going to hurt me. There's a lot of just back and forth, that kind of dance where you're like in love with someone, but you're like, this person is going to break my heart. And so, yeah, I actually just wrote about that recently because, you know, it's funny how history repeats itself, but I, I do have uh, a newish boyfriend that's unattached. And uh, I've been going through a lot of some of the stuff I went through back then. I understand where you're coming from. I have three relationships. Mm-hmm. Working on a fourth, uh, being the glutton I am, and <laughs> three of those have no anchors. Oh no! How do you even cope with that? No. Uh huh. I said I was a glutton for punishment. You know? <laughs> You're a masochist. You really are. <laughs> I'm a masochist in sadist clothes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I I understand about that anchor. All of their attention's on you. And not to spoil it too bad, but the unattached guy in the book is now actually like my primary. So that's that's a that's a funny thing about that. Um, it actually worked out really well. You grew up in rural Maine. I did. Is there anything that isn't rural in Maine? <laughs> well, okay. So there there are basically two kind of city centers: uh, Bangor, Maine, which is the that's the metropolitan area I'm from. I'm from like the lake in the woods near there. And then there's Portland, which is very far south. That's it's basically almost a suburb of Boston, like just a couple hours north of Boston. But yeah, you're right. The rest is just trees, trees and and lobsters and moose and loneliness. And to complicate this, you grew up Catholic. I did. Very staunchly Catholic, actually. Yeah, my, my mom is, is uh, she's some kind of vice regent or something at my church. Um, and my one of my sisters is a is an organist. Um, and my grandmother's a Eucharistic minister. Even my lesbian oldest sister goes to church. So, yes, <laughs> very religious. How is the family processing the new page? Oh, it's going pretty well, actually. Um, I, I made sure to talk to them about it. Um, my mom has a very kind of, she's in the book a little bit, um, but she has kind of a don't ask, don't tell almost vibe where it, I'll ask her if she wants to know the truth. And um, if, if I start to say something that's too much, she just kind of stops me. So that's kind of what we've worked out. They know I have a new book out. I, I told them that it's it's nothing they want to read, um, that it's basically – that she would consider it porn. And she was like, oh, okay, you're a romance writer. And then she kind of <laughs> went off with her day. <laughs> she, she's great. But, yeah, she – it's been a process. It wasn't easy. I think it helps now that I'm, you know, I'm older. I'm, I'm in my 30s now. Um, when I was, like, a, a teenager, it was horrible. It was, like, one clash of the wills after another because she she had never really been anywhere and i think also my oldest sister coming out was a big kind of help in all of that um but but yeah so it, it it's funny they have this weird sort of don't ask don't tell thing going on with me and it works out okay a hand signal or a eye signal and you know all right we have had enough for today Oh, no, no. She'll actually, like, plug her ears and go, la, 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 la. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so it is a very blatant symbol. Okay. Yeah, she's good. She, my mom's not terribly subtle, so. <laughs> One of my partners of uh, 15 or 16 years, my partners, we three of us have been doing this for over 15 years. So, you know, we, 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 we have a little practice. Mm-hmm. She's a writer also. She has two genres she writes, or three. One is fantasy fiction. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, she's scared to put those books out but anyway then she's got a a book that was on the christian 
Book of the Month Club. Oh, wow. And then her other is a bit more racy, like how to be happy and healthy submissive. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Gee, she's living the dream right there. She's got all of them. In that same genre, she's got one that, uh, her mother, uh, her mother doesn't know about how to be healthy and happy, but the uh-huh. other that she got is Red, which is a BDSM murder mystery. Oh, wow. And it all started as her sexual fantasies. Mm-hmm. So they're all written in there. So it's a triple X-ray book. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, uh, she, she, I understand about parents not wanting to know too much. Yeah, well, and I'm actually kind of freaked out because um, my, my in-laws are really, really into my blog. That's like the weirdest thing in the world for me. So, so Sky Spook's parents read my blog, and his mother was super excited to read the book. I was, I was like, hold on, hold on. There's, there's sex with him in the book. She's like, oh no, it's fine. I just want to read it. I was just like, what, what? <laughs> but you know, I, I, I guess if, if that's. I, I can't understand it. But then again, I've, I've had my mother. Now, your your partner's Sky Spook. Sky Spook, yeah, yeah. How did he come into Polly? Oh, yeah. So that's that's an interesting story. And I keep telling him he needs to tell it because his backstory is so much more interesting than mine. More um, interesting than yours. I think so. Well, that's probably because when it's your own life, it's it's less interesting. But he, um, he had basically, you know, done a lot of the – Online dating thing. He has so many weird, like online dating, okay, Cupid stories. It's, it's actually kind of sad, but, but he was, um, kind of in the same friends cluster I was in where, uh, that I ended up in where, you know, there's this big engineering school out here in Cleveland. It's called Case Western. Um, and so he was kind of involved there and knew some of the people that were, you know, um, technology people and hackers actually. Um, so a lot of the hacker scene, uh, like they are, there are a lot of them are non-monogamous. There's this huge overlap. Um, so he kind of was hanging out with them and everything and just kind of knowing, you know, those people and seeing some of their relationships, he kind of was like, well, I'm not, I'm having a really hard time finding one person that, that can meet all of my needs. That's what he said. So what if I just try dating a bunch of other people and I kind of, keep the expectations low and we see what develops. Um, and, and so that was kind of how he kind of waded in. And he was also involved with, you know, the dungeon and the kink scene through another friend of his, cause there's also a really big kinky crossover with the hackers. So, so he ended up kind of doing that. And then, you know, he obviously met me. And so that's, that's kind of how he got into it was between, between all the engineering people, all the geeks actually. You know the that geeks. there is uh, two worlds, the people that, don't get any of this, and then those that get everything. It's a little crazy, actually. And it's like you can't unsee it once you've seen it. You know what I mean? Like you can't go back. You can't, Once you've figured it out, once you've seen it, it's really hard. Like I have like the hardest time talking to people that don't get it. And it's like nothing you can say sometimes you feel can help them. Well, we have a big con here in the South called Frolicon, about 3,000 people. And uh they have a gamer's track, they have a poly track, they have a rider's track, they have a kink track. So it's bringing all those groups into one place under one roof for a weekend. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I know about this crossover. We know about this crossover. Our listeners know about it. So what's in the future for a page turner? 
Oh, sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep blogging every day, putting out a piece every day. Um, right now we're actually working. Um, well, I have finished the second draft of our second book. Actually, it's my second book, but, but Skyspook is helping me edit it. He's kind of doing the redlining for me right now. Um, he's working through. Um, but it's actually, it's a focused how to guide. Um, and it's for, for geeky couples that want to open up is, is kind of the focus, but there's a lot in there that'll apply to everybody. But we've gotten so many requests about this that I, I decided I sat down. I wrote this and this will not be a 400 page book. This is probably something that's going to be about a hundred, somewhere between 50 and a hundred um, because I wanted it to be kind of small enough that you could hand it to somebody and they could read it in one sitting really easily. So it has a lot of dorky humor in it. I'm having a lot of fun writing it. And actually it's going to be out in October is what we're looking at October or November. Congratulations. Be sure Thank to drop you. us a line and maybe we can have you back to plug the new book. Aw, that'd be lovely. Thank you, Paige. Thank you. A great interview. Listeners, we've been talking to Paige Turner, author of Polyland, coming to you from Cleveland, Ohio. You have been listening to episode 189 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week, when we visit with, Mr. and Lady Skydive.